0: True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks again for joining us for this lesson in our series on the heart of Philippians with Adam Barnes. Today we're going to be going over Philippians 1 19 through 30. We're going to be discussing what Paul meant when he said to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul's perspective and understanding of the future provide a unique outlook pertaining to his life and his earthly body. He provides us an example of how we are to view our purpose as humans in our earthly bodies. Well, thanks again for joining us for this lesson. We hope that you enjoy it.
1: Before we get into it, I want you to think about this to kind of get your mind going in the direction that we're going to talk about it. So if someone were going to ask you to explain and define the human life, say so we say, what is it? What's the human life? How would you do it and what would you say? What is the human life? Let's deep It's kind of deep. It's philosophical a little bit. But if we're going to talk about Paul saying to live is Christ and to die is gain, let's talk about what the life is. What is our life?
0: The time that we have here on earth.
1: Okay, so it is. It's a time that we have here on earth. Everybody's the same in one sense in that we have time on earth. Everybody has some time. But what differentiates our time on earth? What we do with it what you do with it, who makes that decision? We We eventually do. At first, our parents kind of guide us. God places us in a family. He puts us in a country. He puts us in a region. And also, the most important thing is what are you going to do with Jesus in that life? That's exactly right. Because at some point, just like Paul you're going to come to a point where you all right, need to make a decision about what you're going to do with him. Who are you, Lord, and what do you want me to do? That's what Paul asked. So for us, we're called to have unity in the body of Christ with people who come from all different backgrounds, races, religions, ethnicities. Yet we all have this. We don't have a. We don't have a shared set of experiences. We all have unique spheres of influence that took us down a path to where we are. Dan's path wasn't the same as mine, wasn't the same as Lisa's, wasn't the same as Brent's. We've all grown up in different families, maybe with different morals, with different ethics, with different values. Yet once we believe in Jesus, where does he place us? In the body. In the body. He puts us in unity. He puts us there. We don't have to create. We are unified with people from different tribes, with different, from different tongues, from different religions, we can break the unity by what we do, but we don't need to create it unless we've done something to disjoint it. So I want you to think about this not just for the sake of unity, because that's really going to be for next week when we get into chapter two, but for this week, Paul's going to talk. He's going to get to a point where he says, "You know what? There are a lot of these people who are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, some from goodwill." Another knows, you know, they don't they don't love me, they don't care about me, they want bad things for me. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ has proclaimed and in this I rejoice. And then he's gonna start today by saying, Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And he's gonna say, Because for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is my experiences here on earth in this body that Christ has given me I'm going to use it for his purpose for his good and for his glory and we're supposed to do the same that's one experience we're supposed to share, we're supposed to attain to the measure of the faith and to what Jesus the example that he set but not everybody does that and I don't know how many people have ever been to the point to where they could say genuinely for me to live is to do Christ's will I'm going to give up what I want for what He wants. I'm going to give up my future set of circumstances, my future experiences, and I'm going to make them what He wants for me, or I'm going to allow the Spirit to push me to what He wants me to do. Because that's a powerful statement. This is always confounding. I didn't know what to make of what Paul was saying for me to live as Christ. That's confusing in and of itself. But then he follows it up by saying, and to die is gain. What's he gaining? Why is
0: it
1: better? To, I mean, it's simple, but to us, as part of this fallen world system, where it's all about us, where it's about self-gratification, to where it's about getting mine and fulfilling my pride, getting my money, getting my comforts, you know, getting my women, or for women, getting my men being protected and provided by for and by, for men to protect and provide for whoever, it all it's all about you. And what Paul says here is opposite of all of that. And So let's, let's get to it. Let's look at it. Um, Adam, it seems like human life is an opportunity to fellowship with Christ and the body of Christ in a state of brokenness. I think about it. Just because, I mean, after this life, we will have fellowship with Christ yeah, that's, and yeah. the body of Christ, but it won't be in a state of brokenness. You know, it talks about fellowship with sharing his sufferings. We're not going to have. This the only place we're going to have sufferings. So I don't know. I, I hadn't really thought about that question until you said it. But those things seem to make connections. It's mm, the only sore, time huh? we have the opportunity to comfort as something comforted. Mm-hmm. we don't need to be comforted. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm. And you, we need that. Who's going
0: to? What you're saying? <laughs> what Brent's saying
1: is directly relevant to what we're going to study throughout the rest of this book, because it's true. Because guess what? As Christians, we are going to suffer. He actually says that today. He's going to tell the flipping people that it hasn't been graciously given to you just to believe, but also to suffer for Christ's sake, experiencing the same conflict that you see in me now here being so we're going to suffer with one another in brokenness and in unity. And so I think that what you just said, brings is beautiful and very true. Okay, so let's look at it. In the point, Paul's commission, you guys know this, but Paul's commission was to take the gospel message to the Gentiles. And we are to walk according to the pattern that he, Jesus, and the apostles provided. <laughs> Later in chapter 3, he's going to say, uh, join in following my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. And that's what he's talking about. This includes using our time on earth and in our bodies to exalt Jesus through our service. Paul's perspective and understanding of the future provided unique outlook pertaining to his life and his earthly body. And that's going to be an important thing because Paul's going to talk a lot about what he does in his earthly body today. And we all have earthly bodies so we can make application. He provides an example of how we are to view our purpose as humans in our earthly bodies. It really gets down to that our bottom line purpose as Christians is to live for Jesus Christ and to endorse him to the world through our loving words and actions, thereby growing the body. Like Paul, to the Philippians, Scripture calls all believers to engage in this fruitful labor of evangelism and training. He's going to call today, he's going to say that they are his fruitful labor today that the flipping people are fruitful for him the body of Christ is most effective when it's unified in this purpose and working together towards its accomplishment sometimes this may mean suffering for the sake of the gospel message though the positive outcomes brought about through opposition and suffering are difficult to perceive in the moment it's a blessing to suffer for the sake of Christ as we'll see that doesn't sound right it's definitely not normal to consider your suffering as a blessing but when it's for Christ it is It is a blessing. Because perseverance through this type of suffering earns blessings and rewards. Paul encourages the church at Philippi to unify around the message of Jesus Christ and to remain like-minded with one another in the midst of opposition. So here's the outlining goals. We're going to look at deliverance through participation. That's the Philippian people praying for Paul and helping him, his salvation or his deliverance in that way. We're going to look at exalting Jesus Christ in life or death. We're going to talk about this eternal win-win. Uh, we're going to talk about unity of purpose. And then we're going to look at the summary and living and working it out, which is our application. And if you'll notice, the test is going to be comprehensive this week. So we're going to take everything that we've looked at from chapter 1 and put it together in next week's test. Gary, okay, I don't want you guys to lose sight of the themes. I don't want you to lose sight of the points that Paul's made as we get into the body of the argument. So next week we're going to, we're going to do all of chapter 1 in the test. At the end of this lesson, our goals: I want you to understand Paul's tension between living and dying, because he says, "I'm hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to part and be with Christ, for well, that's very much better." So there's a tension within him because he wants to go be with Christ, and he doesn't just say here in Philippians, "I want to motivate you," or "I want the word to motivate you to consider areas for your fruitful labor," because Philippi and the churches that Paul planted, that was his area, that was his fruitful labor. So where's yours? For people like Paige and Kira and Laurie or whoever, it's easy for Heather. They have little kids at home. That's your fruitful labor. You can pour into your children so that the gospel message persists in that way. It gets a little more difficult once you get out of that realm, but I want to motivate you to consider where your fruitful labor exists. Consider how perspective can affect actions. How you look at things. The lens that you choose to view things through can motivate you appropriately or inappropriately. So, how do we look at things? Because Paul has an appropriate perspective, and he gets to the point where he's ready to die because his perspective is so clear. He has so much clarity pertaining to his future and what's going to happen. He's ready to get to it. He is, and then know that there is a blessing, or that there is blessing for endurance through trials. That's all throughout Scripture, by the way, not just here in Philippians, and not just with Paul. Really, you find more of it with James, Peter, and John. So let's get into it. In the last lesson, we saw Paul's joy because of the proclamation and exaltation of Jesus Christ, even despite his opponent's insincere motives. Even through opposition of people who were envious of him, Paul rejoiced in the progress of the message because he recognized the gospel as his primary purpose in life. In 1 Corinthians, he says... Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not in cleverness of speech so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. He wants to give it clearly and plainly so that people understand it. He doesn't want anything to take away from the message of Christ. That's his whole purpose. Now, today, in verses 19 and 20, he's going to expound and imply that his deliverance from bondage is certain, although in a different sense than we might imagine. So let's see. it. So he says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance, that's the same word as we get for salvation, for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I'm going to live in this body and this flesh, this just will mean fruitful labor for me. I don't know which to choose, but I'm hard pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that's very much better, yet to remain on in the flesh when this body is more necessary for your sake. So, convinced of this, I know that I'm going to remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ you just through my coming to you again. And then here's the famous verse 27 Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or I remain absent, I'm going to hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for what? For the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, you're going to have opposition, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you and that too from God. For to you it's been granted for Christ's sake not only that you believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me so let's get right into it in verse 19 he says yes and I will rejoice for I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ he's talking about his deliverance he's talking about salvation can he be talking about his eternal life salvation in this passage he can't. We're going to see why here in just a second. But first, note that, note that Paul's rejoicing. He starts out by rejoicing. He just got done giving the situational report. He's imprisoned, but the gospel message is enjoying an even greater persistence. These people are kicking him while he's down, they're pressing him down so that they can exalt himself. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So amidst of opposition and less than desirable life circumstances, Paul's going to demonstrate the type of situational faith that shapes his positive and eternal perspective. He's rejoicing. Second, notice that Paul looked to the prayers of the Philippians. And the aid of the Holy Spirit is the devices by which he would be delivered or be saved he says according to your earnest expect or my expectation and hope which is based on your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ this is important prayer is vital in our fellowship with God and with others isn't that what he's saying doesn't he say that he's going to be delivered because of their prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ That's pretty powerful because the Philippians are just normal people. They're just like you and me. We know that they participate faithfully. We know that they're consistent in their fellowship and participation. But Paul's saying that because of your prayer and the provision of the Spirit of Christ, I'm going to be delivered. So it's important that we understand that prayer is vital in our fellowship with God and with others. And the second bullet there is that the Holy Spirit empowers the believer to live out our call. He's also saying that I'm going to be delivered, I'm going to be saved through the provision of the Holy Spirit. What is the provision of the Holy Spirit? What is He giving you? What has He provided you? Eternal life. You can say that, I'm okay with that. He's part of the Godhead, He gives us eternal life. But what about our Christian life? Because Philippians rarely is dealing with eternal life. And he's saying that he's going to be physically delivered to the provision of the Holy Spirit. Uh, illuminates the Scripture? He does. He illuminates the Scripture, which is interesting since Paul's writing Scripture. So you can definitely say that Paul is empowered in that sense. It
0: works to move people's actions sometimes yes, he recently. Yeah wonder even realize it I think. Yeah. I think that may be part of the provision he's talking about is his working through whatever circumstances
1: to make things turn out that way. Yeah, I agree with that. What else does he provide? What are the The gifts? I think so. We see in scripture that the Holy Spirit gives the gifts, Jesus gives the gifts, and God the Father all gives the gifts. So yeah though what about the fruit of the Spirit? That's what I was going to say. What what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kind of self-control. Yeah, it's really good. Goodness? Yeah, that's great. So the Holy Spirit provides all of these gifts and if you are faithful and in fellowship, you're going to demonstrate this fruit in your life. And Paul here says that the Holy Spirit, through the provision of the Holy Spirit, to Kevin's point, through the Holy Spirit working through people, through the gifts of people, for whatever way, in whatever form or fashion the Holy Spirit's providing for Paul and is going to help him including the provision of the prayer from the Philippian people. And I think he was saying he's going to be working even through these people who aren't working for the right motives. Yeah, I think so. I think that's true. Because he he directly goes into this will turn out for my Right. right.
0: Even even those people who are working against
1: him even that is going to work out for his deliverance. I man's right I agree. I agree and it does we know that Paul doesn't die right here he does get out of jail so let's talk about a theological issue that people use this verse inappropriately for does the deliverance or salvation that Paul mentions mean or imply eternal life you guys said earlier that it doesn't why not
0: one thing is future tense
1: okay so what do you mean by that so um, John 5 24 says hears my word and believes and he, he has eternal life he's talking about this will turn out for my deliverance right good it's got to be something some other type of deliverance right it has to be something because we know that Paul is already is Paul a believer yeah he's, he's already addressed he's, brethren is Paul already regenerate mm-hmm. yeah He's declared righteous Paul can't be talking about something he's going to get in the future he already has eternal life he's already been justified by God so the answer to this is no he's not talking about eternal life salvation and be careful because salvation does not always mean or imply save from the lake of fire or eternal separation in scriptures Matter of fact, so often in books like Philippians when it's dealing more with your Christian life than eternal life salvation, it has so much more to do with physical deliverance. And we're going to see that. Let's think about that. Since this isn't eternal life salvation, from the lake of fire, what is his deliverance from? What is his salvation in verses 19 and 20? We're going to see it from the context of this passage in the first chapter and really the letter as a whole. Kevin, if you wanted to say, go ahead. That's at least a couple of things for sure, but it's probably several. What do you think it is? Well, one of them I think is from prison. Yeah, that's 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 it. The first first thing is he's talking about his imprisonment. He's going to be delivered from his imprisonment. Now, in the context of this passage, he's actually saying, whether by life or by death, he's going to be delivered. But it's still a deliverance.
0: Yeah, he's confident that it's going to be by life that he says at the same time.
1: It's almost like he's thinking as he's writing this out because he gets to the point where he says, convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all through your joy and progress and faith. So I think that's right. Like it could also be physical death. Yeah, I think that's true, too. I, think they, I, think these, I didn't put that in here. I should have put that in here. But I think that's true, too, even though he, he doesn't necessarily want that. We're going to see in just a second what about
0: the people who say yeah yeah i mean his the people from before the believers that were yeah those causing
1: about. him distress the second line is he wants deliverance from these people who are causing him distress. paul takes the high road and he avoids getting into this tit for tat argument with these guys but i promise you that paul was ready to get out and do some work he wanted delivered from those causing him distress i think that's i think you can see that pretty clearly from the context We're going to see it here in just a second, but he also wanted to be delivered from shame. He wanted to be delivered from shame. What type of shame... You don't have to answer this right now, but I want you to think about it in your mind. We're going to get specifically into it in just a second. But what would bring Paul shame in this situation? What What would make him shameful that he might want to be delivered from? But we'll see it. And the fourth thing... And this is how it applies, I think, very often to us in our Christian life. Once we've been, once we've put our faith in Christ, we have eternal life, we can still need those situational or experiential deliverance. Save your deliverance from his current experience. Think about that. Do you guys ever been in a situation you weren't out of? Have you ever p- prayed for deliverance? It's a nice word to use My experience. Save me from my experience. <laughs> and and that, has to do, that has to do with your life. There's things in life that you want deliverance from. There's things, I'll give a personal example for me. I should have brought my prayer book, I'll show you. But there's times when I've prayed specifically that I would be delivered from the problems created from a certain employee at my job. Every single day I go to work and be miserable. I wanted, to, I wanted situational or experiential deliverance from that situation. And that's Okay. Scripture deals with that type of salvation. It t- deals with that type of experience or deliverance or salvation. It's okay to pray for those things. I promise you, Paul, there were things that he prayed about in, this, in prison with these people pushing him down so they can exalt themselves. I'm sure that he prayed against that. I and mean, you should. Because that's the will of God. Paul said that his deliverance will come either by attaining his freedom, which we've talked about, or by a death sentence. Because keep in mind, when you appeal to Caesar's, You get a chance to go before Caesar and you either live or you die. And we know that eventually Nero does away with you. Either way, no matter which way you take the deliverance, we know that it's not eternal life salvation. He's dealing with Christian life, situational, experiential. But in view of all the things that Paul is going to be delivered or saved from, he's about to make the point that whether his deliverance becomes because of his life or his death, His intention, prayer, and hope is that Jesus Christ would be exalted. No matter what happens, all he wants is for Jesus Christ to be exalted. These are examples of situational deliverance. Paul's confident that Philippians are praying with him and for him in regard to his deliverance. And they're trusting that the Holy Spirit will empower him to persevere through his current troubles. If you don't take this as situational deliverance, you miss the beauty of Paul tying this into one of his themes. Because Paul's salvation in this sense, his deliverance, includes human working and participation with God. Is participation a theme in Philippians? Humans participating with humans or humans participating with God? Both. Both. Fellowship or participation includes both sides of that coin. And that's a theme, and that's what he's talking about. The humans are working in partnership with God because they're praying for his deliverance, and the Holy Spirit's working that out to the provision, which points to this being a more progressive or Christian life sanctification deliverance. So not only was Paul being kicked while he was down, but he eventually was going to stand before the emperor because of his message, and he knew that he would be faced with the temptation to shrink away from the gospel message. You guys believe that? If Jesus wanted that cup to pass from him in the Garden of Gethsemane because he knew what he was about to suffer, you think Paul got a little scared that even though his mission and his purpose was to take the gospel message to the Gentiles, that when he stood before a Roman emperor and hated Christians, that he might shrink away from his message or de-emphasize it? I do. I think we're going to see it here in just a second but that's what he's afraid of being ashamed of. He knows what his purpose is, Now he's got to stand strong. So let's see it. Exalting Jesus in life or by death. He says, Yes, I know I will rejoice, for I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the provision of the Spirit of Christ. Then here he says, According to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, by the way, be exalted in my body, whether by... Life or by death. What's the means by which Christ is exalted? Will be exalted in what? Life or death. Life or death. What he does in his body. In his body. Whether by life or by death, I will not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body. What he does, whether it's life or death, he wants Christ to be exalted. Because that's his mission that's his purpose we've talked about ad nauseum in this class Paul existed post post road to Damascus his whole goal was to make Jesus known to proclaim Christ to the Gentiles now in captivity he has this temptation however from his perspective from Paul's view the way he's looking at things it would be shameful for him to shrink away he knows that there's there's a temptation that, that he might do that But his purpose is to suffer for the sake of the gospel. When we see in Acts, that's what God tells you. When Paul says, what do you want me to do? He says, go in and meet with this guy, and I'm going to show you how much you're going to have to suffer for my sake. I also think it's clear that he's not just going to be ashamed if he shrinks away. I also think it's clear as in this book, several times in the Philippians, he has the judgment seat of Christ in mind. When he stands before Jesus for rewards he doesn't want to be ashamed because he shrunk away he doesn't want to be ashamed because he missed out on potential eternal or kingdom rewards because he shrunk away from the gospel message so we're going to see he has some negative, positive and negative outcomes here in verse 20 Paul's expectation and hopes involve both avoiding a negative outcome and bringing about a positive outcome What are they? In verse 20. That I will not be put to shame. shame." That's what he's trying to avoid. That's the negative. And don't forget when you see a but in Scripture, it's showing contrast. What's the contrast? That he is not put to shame, but that Jesus Christ is Exalted. exalted by Paul's life or death. He says, "I don't want to be put to shame, to anything, but that with all boldness, I need to be ready to stand firm, bold in conviction and message, because I don't want to be put to shame. I want Christ to be exalted in my body, whether my body lives or dies." So, based on the context of verses nineteen and twenty, what would bring Paul shame? If Christ were not exalted through His work in His earthly body. In His earthly body. Stop and think about that. What about your earthly body? Do you guys know any verses that say what you're supposed to do with your body?
0: Present as a living sacrifice?
1: Romans 12, 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Paul urges us, begging by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, holy sacrifice. What else? 2
0: Corinthians 5, 17
1: through 21. Yeah, so the, he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. And he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the perfect righteousness of God. And we're ambassadors for Christ, which was to go out and take the message to people. And they're glorifying God in your body. So. First Corinthians six. 6, yeah. He says, You don't know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, that you have from God, and you're not your own because you've been bought with the price? Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. In Romans 6, he says, Stop sinning! He says, Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We're supposed to use this body to glorify and exalt Christ, not for our own good. It's just a tool. You are a body. You have a body. You are a soul spirit. This body that you have is just a tool that you're supposed to use in service to Christ. That's the whole point of Romans 6. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body in your earthly in your fleshly body. Stop sinning. You're using it wrong. That's not what you're there for. You're supposed to use it as an instrument of righteousness to God. That's what Paul. same thing Paul's saying here. same guy that wrote that saying this. Whether by life or by death, all I want is for Christ to be exalted in my life. That's hard for us. If you don't have the appropriate mindset or perspective to look at things through, you're not going to make that sacrifice. You won't. It's too hard to say, for me to live as Christ and to die as me. Because that's the total opposite of what we're taught that we're supposed to do. We want preservation, we want safety, we want security. We want all these things. Also, this it's just a tent. We're not citizens of heaven. He's going to talk about citizenship in this passage. He's going to talk about it later in chapter 3 too. You know, this is just an earthly dwelling. This is just your tool you're supposed to use. Paul doesn't want to be disappointed in himself or to be ashamed when he stands before Jesus at the judgment seat. He says it in chapter 2. And he says in chapter 3 and chapter 4. He wants to exalt Jesus by whatever he does in this life, even if that means using his death as a means to exalt his Lord and Savior. He understands that he'll give an account of his deeds before Jesus and be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. If he perseveres through trials like the one that he's persevering (laughs) through. Same thing for you. James says the exact same thing. Consider all joy when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. In, chat, in verse 12 of that same chapter, he says, if you do that, you're going to get a reward. If you persevere through trials, you're going to get the crown of righteousness or the crown of life. I think it was that way. Wavering from this purpose, wavering from Paul's purpose, which was what? The gospel? To proclaim the gospel. Wavering from that in this circumstance or situation would bring about a subsequent loss of reward. And from Paul's perspective, that's a shameful mission failure. Paul's goal and his mission is to go and do exactly what he's doing. he's about to face the ultimate temptation when he stands in front of, him. like we know, he's going to go in front of Kings. He's already been before Felix and Augustus and all these other people. He's going to stand before Nero. He's eventually going to die. he's ready for it. Let's see what he says. For me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I'm going to live on in this flesh, that's going to mean fruitful labor for me. If I'm going to stay on in this body, I'm going to put it in service. And that service is going to be fruitful. And I don't know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both the directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, that's very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake, not for mine. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all through your progress and join the faith. So, that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. So, in this section, Paul begins by making two assertions. And we've already talked about them. But number one, to live as Christ. Two, to die as God. He ponders both outcomes and he prefers one to another. Verses 23 through 26 are going to detail this mental tug of war, which provides valuable and practical information for how we are supposed to view our existence and to view our identity. So he says, "For me to live is Christ, and die to die is gain." So I'm going to ask this question hypothetically, and then we'll talk about it. You don't need to answer it, but what does it mean for Paul, for Paul to say, "For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain"? What did he call himself at the beginning of this book? What was a monster? Lord. To live is Christ. For me to live is to do the will of my Master. For me to live is Christ. His objective is to promote Jesus Christ by his words and by his actions. And in this sense, he sees no other option but to carry out Jesus' will. He's a bond, certainly. I think it's appropriate, and we should listen to this part carefully. I think it's appropriate to interpret Paul as saying, My old will, my old intentions and desires, died and they were crucified with Christ and if I'm going to live in this body then it's going to be his way and his will I'm going to embody the will of Jesus because he embodies me I'm going to live as an extension of Jesus Christ's will and to be fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit in that sense my life my energy my emotions my decisions my body, they're no longer for myself. But they're for Christ. They're by Christ. And they're in Christ. All aspects of my being are going to be used for Jesus Christ's purpose and for His glory. That's really what he's saying. To live as Christ. I'm going to do His will, His intention. Are we supposed to be conformed to that image? Are we supposed to grow up into the measure of the stature that's the fullness of Christ? That's what Paul's talking about. He's going to say later, I haven't attained it yet. I haven't got there yet. But that's what he's trying to do. That's what we should try to do. When you grow on in maturity these type of things get easy, but it's hard. For Paul to live it meant letting his own desire and will die and submit to a complete Christ centeredness. This is where Lordship Salvation tries to hit the target and they miss. Because they say that if you're not doing this, you don't have what? Eternal life. life. That's garbage. This is Christian life sanctification. It has nothing to do with your eternal life. You have eternal life by faith in Christ for it. Point blank. But you have a decision what to do with your life after that. You can look at it as the starting line or the finish line. A lot of Christians say, I've got eternal life. Game over. See ya. They go and sit on their gifts. Paul says, no, no, no. You have maturing to do. You have growing to do. Well, okay, so that's to live as Christ. But what, to, what, is, what does he mean to die is gain? How is death a gain to Paul? How can Paul say that it's better to go and be with Christ? He's going to say here in a couple of verses that he desires to go and be with Christ. For that's very much better. How can he know that? He had a picture of it.
0: He's already seen it. it,
1: Oh, here's the deal. We're going to be more blessed than Paul in that way. Paul had divine revelation. Paul saw it. He knows. Remember how we talked about know what's at the end of the line? Quit your belly aching. Remember what's at the end of the line? Paul knew it. He knew it was into the, the line because he saw it. Look at here in 2 Corinthians 12.4. Paul was caught up into paradise. He says, he tells the 2 Corinthians, he was caught up into paradise and he heard inexpressible words which man is not permitted to speak. He saw it and he wasn't allowed to talk about it. And he knew that he had a propensity for arrogance because of that, so what did the Lord give him?
0: The Lord him.
1: Give him a thorn in his flesh. That's what he says right after this verse. Paul got the goods. He saw it. That made it probably a little bit easier for him to want to check out. You hear JB say it all the time, but that comes from 2 Corinthians 5, 6, 9. We prefer, he says, to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. That verse is Therefore, being of good courage, we to be absent. to be at home in this body means to be absent from the Lord for we walk by faith not by sight and for for we are of good courage I say prefer rather to be absent from the body to be at home with the Lord then right after that he says therefore we also have as our ambition whether at home or absent to be pleasing to him it's the exact same idea that he's talking about here whether I'm at home or an absent, and right now I'm absent because I'm in this body, but I need to be pleasing to Him. That's my ambition, is to be pleasing to Him. Acts 21, 30, 13, he says, you're breaking my heart. They don't want him to go to Jerusalem because they're afraid he's going to die. He says, you guys are breaking my heart. I'm ready to not only be bound, but even to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul is ready. Paul saw it was at the end of the line. He knew it was good. He knew where this thing was going. He was motivated by it. He was encouraged by it. And for Paul to die, it meant finally being with Christ, which is very much better. If we knew what Paul knew, we'd probably want to check out and go be with Christ too. We would. We're not supposed to though. If he wanted us there, he'd take us there. But just like Paul, we have a mission field. To remain on in this flesh means fruitful labor for you and for me, or it should. And if we execute it faithfully, there's going to be a reward as we've seen. He says, but if I'm to live on in the flesh this will mean fruitful labor for me. He already mentioned being a bond of Jesus at the beginning of this letter, and that means putting your earthly body and bodies into service for Jesus to do His will. Jesus' will for Paul and for us, by the way, is to make disciples and identify the body. Jesus commissioned this. Go make disciples of all the nation. He gave all these gifts apostles, teachers, pastors for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body. That's our goal, that's our ministry. Jesus asks us to cooperate in his ministry through our discipline. Work and effort in our earthly bodies. Buddy quoted Matthew 5.16 last week. Let your light shine before men. He says, Use your bodies, do good deeds before men so that they'll see you and glorify me. Kevin mentioned 1 Corinthians 6:19 and 20 earlier. I talked about Romans 6:11. Heather mentioned Romans 12:1 and 2. Colossians 3.17 says whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to Him to God the Father. We're supposed to use our bodies in service. For Paul being alive in this body meant working towards the goal of making disciples. And he knew that he'd be successful by the way. Paul knew it. Not because of his faithfulness because he had trusted the effectiveness of God's word. Paul was faithful, and his trust was in God's word. You may know a verse that says that that's a good thing to trust in. Why is God's word trustworthy? Really? His character. Yeah, it's four twelve. It sounds weird, but it is. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's able to judge your thoughts and intentions. It's the filter by which our actions go through. It's profitable, it says in 2 Timothy 3, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training. In Isaiah, God says, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Paul's confidence is in God's word because if he gives it out, he knows he's going to be effective. So what is the fruit that Paul hopes to produce through his labor? It's the evangelism and discipleship of the Philippian and other people. Doesn't he say that this is going to mean fruitful labor for me? written right here in a little bit, he's going to say so that we can keep, so that I, whether I come and see you or remain as I hear that you're standing firm in one spirit one mind striving together through the faith of the gospel. He wants to go and be with them. They're his fruitful labor. We're, by the way, because we're studying this, we're his fruitful labor. What's your fruitful labor? Wait, where can you use your body in Christ's service to proclaim the message that's the application for us we'll see in a couple of verses that it's necessary for the growth and maturity of the Philippians that he remains on earth in his body so the Philippian people and others that Paul will influence in his body are the fruit that he hopes to produce then he says I don't know which to choose but I'm hard pressed from both directions having the desire to part and be with Christ but that's very much better he was torn between these two outcomes But the two, his desire was to depart and be with Jesus, as we've seen. But he understood that there was fruitful work yet to accomplish. We've already primed this point, so there's not a need to go deeper into it. But Paul felt pressed by his desire to leave earth and to go be with Jesus because he knew that his life on earth paled in comparison to what his existence and his experience would be like with Jesus. You guys remember at the first of this... Book when he said, In this I pray that your love may advance to more and more real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent not just the stuff that's good and bad, but the stuff that's excellent in order to be sincere and blameless. This is one of those things Paul's choosing between two goods, and it's nothing is better than to go and be with Jesus. It's hard for us to grasp. and fact, I mean, most of us in this room I have to be honest, I don't want that. It's because we don't understand it. We don't have the lens that Paul saw things through because he saw stuff we did. The truth is that as Christians, we have the freedom to choose between two options. We can either walk worthy and participate in fruitful labor while in these bodies and subsequently be rewarded Or we can give in to apathy, fear, doubt, mental and maybe even physical comfort while in these bodies and subsequently be ashamed. Did you know that you will be, by the way? When you stand before Him at the judgment seat of Christ, you know better. Jesus could say, Adam told you on September 15th. (laughs) He told you to put your bodies in the service. You didn't do it. Think you'd be ashamed? I'll I'll probably be ashamed. I know I wasted 30 years of my life because I believed the false doctrine that said that I didn't have to do anything. It only mattered whether I was chosen or not. Because eternal life was the finish line, not the starting point. Because I didn't understand that works wasn't necessary for salvation or to prove salvation. But it's only part of what we're expected to do as Christians so that we can be rewarded and reign with Him and get the inheritance as we saw last week. Don't be ashamed. You have an option. Put your bodies into service. We always have choices in the Christian life. As we grow and mature to look more and more like Jesus, our choices should align more with His will. We want to choose the best things, not just between good and bad. And God's will for our life, by the way, is always best. And we know what that general will is. We know we're supposed to use these bodies to make disciples. To sin is not good. We know that. To give up your time, effort, or to, to not sin is good, is what I meant to say. To not sin is good. But to give up your time, effort, energy, and emotion for Jesus is even better. In this case, it was God's will for Paul to continue his foundational work in the church. He says, "Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. I need to stay in this body for you. Convinced of this, I know that I'm going to remain and continue with you all for your joy and progress in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abandon Christ just through my coming to you again. Here's the sacrifice. Paul genuinely wants to go be with Christ, but he's saying it's better for me. It's better for you guys out here." And I guess I'll give her a word for it, so that's going to be good too. Mm-hmm. Paul tells Philippians that they need him, that they're going to continue in his or he will continue in his body for their sake and well being. And this is really referring to their growth and maturity. For your progress, he says, we've been talking about progressive sanctification. That's what he's talking about. Their growth and maturity. Paul's ready to see the Philippians again so that they can exalt Jesus together and to give confidence and encouragement to the Philippians. Because the truth is this we need leadership. And that's what Paul was to them. He was a leader. We need leadership. We need encouragement. And we need accountability in ministry. I've talked to some people who were here earlier. If you want a great case study on accountability, go download the podcast to Christianity Today. It's called Who Killed Mars Home. Because there was a person without with no accountability you destroyed a local body. We need accountability in ministry. We need encouragement. Let us consider how to stimulate one another unto love and good deeds, and not forsaking the assembling of together as the have the sin, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need leadership. We need somebody. I don't have time, but I want to take you guys to Romans ten, where he says, "God sends pastors." Pastors preach. When, pe- when pastors preach, people hear. When people hear, they believe. And once they believe, they call on the name of the Lord for physical deliverance. We don't have time to go into we need leadership. Everybody does. And if somebody says they don't need lead, they're a fool. Because they think that they know everything and they have everything that they need. Every single person needs it. And Paul was that person for them. He says, I'm doing this for you. I'm not going to be with Christ because I know I need to be in this body to fulfill my ministry. And then he gets on to unity of purpose, this famous verse, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So whether I come and see you or remain absent, when the cat's away the mice will play, And that kind of what he's getting at? Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I'll hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Conduct yourselves in a manner is all one word in the Greek. It's only used one other time in Scripture. It has the idea of your life as a citizen. Conduct yourselves in a manner, he's really saying, live as a citizen. And that can be confusing in this context, and it's led to some unfortunate translations of this verse that confuse its meaning. I prefer the ESVs, let your manner of life, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Either way, our lives should be characterized by our integrity. That's the point. He's saying, conduct yourselves in a manner or let your lives be worthy of the gospel. We talked a little about integrity or a little bit about integrity. What is integrity? When your actions match your words that's what Paul's talking about conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel if you're going to say that the gospel is all this stuff then your lifestyle needs to match it your lifestyle needs to demonstrate that you believe in it not to gain eternal life but so that you're effective in your Christian life to live your life in such a way that brings integrity to the gospel message that's what it means to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. God's granted the church the opportunity to engage in this purpose, by the way. He wants us to live our lives in a way that glorifies Him and that promotes the gospel. The gospel's persistence is somewhat dependent on the body of believers because He's given us that opportunity. As we've seen in other lessons, when the body is unified and working together towards a common goal, it's most effective. And that's why Paul encourages them. To stand firm in one spirit and with one mind. It's important for them to unite around that message. Because it's the appropriate message because it's the message that God gave them. It's important for them to unite around it and to encourage each other and to hold one another accountable towards their shared goal whether he's able to come and be with them or whether he's not. Because he knows that at some point he's not going to be around to coach him up, Right? Isn't that the same for us? We need leadership, but eventually we need to be the leaders. As we grow, the life cycle is that we're growing and spiritually maturing and we're taking that knowledge and passing it on to younger people so that they can do the same thing and the message appropriately cycles throughout our time in history. That cycle's been broken several times. And so we have so many so much confusion. The application for today's church is the same we're to unite around the common goal of faith of the gospel. Isn't that what he said? Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I and see you or remain absent, so I'll hear me you. that you're standing for in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Then he's going to get into opposition. That's all good and well. We're supposed to unify around that message, but guess what? You're going to have opposition. He says, in no way have by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, maybe different than what you think, but of salvation for you. And that too for God. Paul indicates that the Philippians are going to encounter opposition. Their enemy's opposition is evidence of their loss. The word that Paul uses here for destruction is apaleia, and it carries the idea of loss or ruin. Whether the loss is physical loss Spiritual loss, eternal loss. Could be reward, loss of rewards, as we saw last week in First Corinthians three. So, so he's he
0: still thinking about those
1: people that he? I think he is talked about earlier. I one hundred percent think he is, and he's going to talk about some other people at the beginning of chapter three. He's going to say, "Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision." So the biblical word here for destruction or loss is appellate and it carries the idea of being cut off or destruction loss, waste, ruin So I really think it's beautiful that he uses this word here because it applies in whatever scenario comes up in life So for those people that Kevin you just mentioned what would they be using? Because they're believers They're not going to be eternally cut off they're not going to be eternally destroyed or eternally lost because they're believers so they're losing rewards they're losing the opportunity for appropriate fellowship here on earth paul says that's just a sign don't be alarmed by your opponents that's just a sign of their loss it's their loss but of salvation for you and that too from god again physical deliverance as I mentioned, I think the Paul's use, use of this word beautifully fits within the context and passage of what we've seen so far in our study. Here's what I mean: this part's somewhat confusing, but just follow me. The type of loss in view here could be variable, meaning that there's something that could change, it, or dependent on the type of opposition that he's facing. Unity and like-mindedness are in view from verse 27. Conduct yourselves in the manner worthy of the gospel. One mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So people who stand in opposition to unity could be directly addressed. We've seen those type of people, but both believers and unbelievers are capable of disrupting unity in the body. What are the unbelievers who cause disruption in unity? What are they going to be cut off from? or what's their loss going to be? Eternal separation? They've already been judged because they haven't believed. They're already cut off. They're already spiritually dead. It's their loss. Different for believers or unbelievers. The variable is different. That's why I think it's beautiful that he uses this word here. If the opposition comes from believers, their loss is rewards at the judgment seat. If it comes from unbelievers, they've been condemned already. Then he says, For to you it's been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer. That's not fun. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now you're here to be in me. That word when he says granted, it's been granted for Christ's sake, that's grace. He said, it's the same root word as grace. It's charis. It was graciously or freely given to the Philippians to suffer. <laughs> that is weird to think about. Can I ask a question? question? Yeah. On the page before that, under Apuleia, it states Apuleia can refer to person and person fellowship, God and person fellowship, or even God and God fellowship. That's a typo. So that shouldn't be there. Scratch that out. Thank you for catching I was, that. I was so, going to ask what the I have a te- I have then. a template for when I do the Greek word definition, and that's from the Koinonia one in Chapter 2. So I cut and pasted that, and I changed the words to use the template. and I just didn't edit that. I'm sorry. Thank it's you for catching that. Yeah. <laughs> that's garbage. Thank you for catching that. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I was—I was thinking God and God fellowship. I was going to ask you to confirm or talk about. Yeah, that. I was
1: in the middle of typing, and I must have just got caught in the middle of something and stood up right as I was making that or something. Thank you for catching that. So he says, graciously given to the Philippians to suffer on behalf of Jesus. This again turns the perspective of the world and today's prosperity gospel on its head. You think the prosperity gospel is telling people that they're going to suffer for Christ's sake? it's opposite to what they teach active Christians not better than but just active who live out their faith will suffer for Jesus' message in some form or fashion you're going to suffer expect persecution, expect opposition Satan's not going to waste his resources he's not God, he's not alone he can't be everywhere at once he does have a bunch of fallen angels that he can employ in his service. He's not going to waste his resources on people who are not doing anything, people who are apathetic. He's going to spend it on people who are doing something. So get ready. You're going to face opposition. Active Christians will suffer for the sake of Jesus' message. This opposition came in the form of persecution, envy and strife, as we've already seen in this book, jealousy, And even out of his own, you can oppose yourself because there's a battle going inside of you. You have your flesh that is wanting to oppose you. That's wanting to oppose the spirit inside of you. Paul says has been graciously given to suffer. I, I want to talk about all this, but we're out of time. Those who suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ will be blessed. Look up these verses. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things against you. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. Eternal life is never a reward, people. Eternal life is a gift. It's not something that you can earn or do something to gain. This is talking about judgment seat of Christ's rewards. That's from Jesus, not Paul, by the way. James 1 and 2. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials and the testing of faith produces endurance. And then in verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Paul says the same thing in Romans 5, 3, and 5. 1 Peter three fourteen. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Don't fear their intimidation. Be troubled. Expect it. Don't fear it. So here's the summary. We know that Paul's goal is to proclaim Jesus in both his words and his actions. The failure to do so would meant that his message failed, his mission failed. He viewed this type of mission failure as personally shameful here on earth, but also at the judgment seat. He knows that through his bold words and actions, he has a better chance for victory. Enchained by the authorities and defamed by his peers, Paul maintains an eternal perspective. and embraces the win-win of his situation, even if that means physical death. Commissioned by Jesus to take the gospel message to the Gentiles, he realizes the certainty of his future is either one to be continued labor for the sake of Christ, or his physical death and immediate glory with Jesus Christ. Either way, he will. It's the eternal one win. He'll, he'll both continue his fruitful labor and continue earning rewards, or he'll go be with Jesus in immediately receive rewards for exalting Christ in his death. Okay, living and working out. This is the application. Rejoice in your circumstances and in your trials and your tribulations. Because it's testing your faith. And if you endure through that, you're going to produce endurance or patience, fortitude, grit. And when you have that, you're going to be better equipped to handle the next one. You're going to earn rewards through your perseverance. Number two, pray for your believers. Paul said, I know. I know I'm going to be delivered through your prayer and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ you guys can provide deliverance in people's lives don't neglect that seriously what a powerful weapon and tool we have and all it takes is time that's all it takes all you have to do is take time and effort be bold and purposeful to exalt Jesus with your bodies don't shrink away from opportunities to proclaim Jesus you don't want to be ashamed in that moment because you did you look back on it the judgment seat and say I don't know what I was afraid of I shouldn't have done it I should have been bold Consider the aspects. That, consider, consider which aspects of your life are focused on yourself, and which ones are on Jesus. This is a humbling and somewhat enlightening exercise to do. But you should always be self-assessing. Consider which aspects of your life are <coughs> focused on yourself. Not all things are sin. Lay aside the encumbrances and the sin. The encumbrances aren't sin, but it still could be stuff that's keeping you from fulfilling your mission. Identify and consider the opportunities for fruitful labor in your life. There's a mission field out there and every single one of you has a different sphere of influence that you have an opportunity to engage with. Consider your opportunities for where your fruit is. Again, self-assess whether your words, thoughts, and actions are worthy of the gospel. Live with integrity. If you believe the gospel, act like it. Walk worthy of your calling. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul's not here for us. He can't say to us whether I come and see you or remain absent. But he still wants to hear us that we're standing firm with one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Maintaining unity in the body for the sake of effectiveness. And notice that I put maintain unity. We were given unity when we were placed in the body. Just don't do something to screw it up. Maintain it. Expect opposition. Okay. Next week is the test and it's comprehensive. I want I don't want a chapter way to get away from us. So Philippians one twenty seven is a powerful verse. You should have it in your arsenal memorize that one. Alright, what's a bond servant? The
0: person who does the will of
1: their master. A person who does the will of their master. What are three primary things in Philippians? Humility, participation, humility, unity, unity, huge one. What else? Perseverance. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Perseverance through trial. Right? We just talked about it. True or false? Christians are only called to choose between good and bad. All, false. All right. You know that, but you're ready to explain your answer. How did Epaphroditus participate in the gospel message? He care, he's yeah, he just mail Uh What was Paul's purpose, mission, and post, post, or excuse me, what was his purpose and mission post-conversion?
0: Protecting the gospel, gospel message to the Gentiles
1: to the Gentiles. He started with the, Jesus. and then went to the king. Alright, list three things that Paul did in prison. He wrote letters and books. Praying. He wrote letters. Prayed, he prayed for preached, people. Preached the then he preached the gospel. Okay. Paul says that his circumstances or his imprisonment had what effect on the spread of the gospel?
0: Advancement.
1: Yeah, actually, the greater progress is the word he uses. Actually, and circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. How did Paul label the impure motives of his opponents? We talked about that one today. What are your spiritual gifts designed to edify and/or glorify? Circle all the applied. I think I put the entire question there for you. What is it? Are your gifts for yourself? No. Are they for the body of Christ? Yes. Yes. Are they for God? Yes. yes. Yeah. To glorify God, yes. In Colossians 3.23-24, we do our work heartily because it is the Lord Christ who we serve. We get the reward of the inheritance if we do that, by the way. That's pretty cool. True or false, a person's motives and their faithfulness will affect his or her rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. True. True. And do we get eternal life at the judgment seat of Christ? No. 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 When do we get eternal life? Mm -hmm. The moment that you believe. Give one reason that we talked about that Paul was content either to die or what did I say. I wrote that wrong, so. Yeah. so why was Paul content to die in his earthly body? To exalt Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Well he wanted to. He didn't want to he, he wanted to exalt Jesus. But why was he okay if exalting Jesus meant him dying? Because he'd be with Christ. Because be it's very much better. Because he had information we don't. He can't he wasn't allowed to speak about it. What did Paul state was the benefit for him to remain in his earthly body? Fruitful labor. Fruitful labor. Who, are the, who is his fruitful labor? The Philippians, you, Gentleman. me, everybody who benefited from the books of Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, Marlene, everything we wrote.
0: Let's pray, the Thanks again for joining us for True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. If you enjoyed this lesson, make sure you subscribe so you can hear the rest of the lessons on True to the Bible podcast. And if you have any questions regarding this lesson or any of the other lessons, make sure you contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Thanks again for joining us.